0: In John 21, really what John is doing is he's, he's completed his story, but there's a few loose ends that he's going to tie together in this chapter. There's a few pieces of information that are helpful for us, for the church, for the early readers of this gospel to know things that they would have had questions about that John kind of, he just kind of ties up those loose ends and then presents the gospel in its entirety. So in this chapter, there may be readers who had finished the gospel of John who would say, wait a second, Jesus just, he just shows up in a room, a closed off room with 12 guys who are terrified for their lives and who are like weeping and mourning. And that's, that's what we have to go off of. We're just going to take their word for it, which that that would absolutely be enough. But John's going to give us some more evidence of a resurrected Jesus. What about Peter? There's so many questions about Peter at this point in the gospel. Like, last we saw Peter, he had doubted Jesus. He had denied Jesus. He even betrayed Jesus at his trial. And then he goes to the, to the tomb and he doesn't believe that Jesus is resurrected. John does, Peter doesn't. Peter really finishes this gospel in a very negative light. What happens to Peter? What, what happens to all the rest of the disciples? What happens to John? There's lots of questions that are still left at the end of this gospel. And so even though the author, John, has really completed his argument, he ties up a whole bunch of loose ends in chapter 21 so that he can present this story in its entirety. We're going to see tonight a third appearance of Jesus. A third appearance of Jesus. So what we're going to title this is, Third Time is the charm. We've seen already to this point, two appearances of Jesus. Jesus appeared, he appeared to to the women at the tomb, but then he appears to his disciples later that day in in, in this this upper room, He, he appears to his disciples. Thomas was not there, remember? So he appears to them, they believe. Thomas denies it though. He says, unless I see see him with my eyes, unless I feel him with my hands, I won't believe. Eight days later, Jesus keeps Thomas waiting. Eight days later, he appears again to his disciples. Again in a closed off room. Well, that certainly may leave some questions in the mind of the readers. And so Jesus, John includes a third story for us, a third appearance of Jesus. And what we're going to see is not only may the readers have had some doubt, but also it's, it's, it's very possible and even probable in this text that his disciples were doubting a resurrected Jesus. Okay, Now, they saw a resurrected Jesus multiple times. But I think there's some clues in this text that show us that they're still struggling with doubt. So not only may we have some doubt about Jesus' resurrection, not only with the original readers, but maybe even the disciples having doubt about the resurrected Jesus. And so John gives us another, a third appearance of Jesus. And and in this, what we're going to see tonight is Jesus' third appearance reminds us of three gospel truths. Jesus' third appearance reminds us of three gospel truths. Let's read through this passage, verses 1 through 14, and we will then start to walk through what truths are revealed in this story. John chapter 21, verse 1. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will also come with you. They went out and got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the breach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right hand side of the boat and you will find a catch. So they cast. And then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment. For he was stripped for work. Thanks for that detail, John. And, and he threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have now caught. And Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land, full of large fish, 153. And although they were, there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him. Who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise. This now was the third time that Jesus was manifested to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. It's a fascinating story. And it's going to get even a little bit more strange as we continue in this story next week. Jesus appears a third time to his disciples, twice in an upper room and now by the Sea of Galilee. And in this third appearance, we see three gospel truths. None of these truths are going to be new. I hope if you've been paying attention. You know everything that we're going to talk through tonight. But John revisits them. He revisits them to drive these truths home. As the resurrected Jesus has now been witnessed, that the first one, the first one is that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. This is again a, a primary emphasis that John wants his readers to be aware of: that Jesus is alive. He wants there to be no doubt. Lest you hear the first two stories of Jesus' resurrection. Lest you hear those and think, okay, so I'm supposed to take the word of 12 men who were terrified for their lives. Who were on the brink of death in their minds. And by the way, they're mourning. They're incredibly sorrowful that that their Lord has has been killed. Like, it's kind of like prime hallucination territory. Like, yeah, I'm sure you saw the Lord Jesus in that state of mind. Now, We're called to believe that nonetheless. But John uses this story to just like give this final stamp. No, he, he was alive. He didn't just appear there. He appears many times to the disciples. And it wasn't just in closed-off rooms. It was, it was available for many to see. In fact, one of those stories is the story of his disciples in the Sea of Galilee. This story starts in verse 1, and there's a repeated word in this story that, that really draws us to understand that this is a primary point in John's mind. We're told that after these things, Jesus manifested himself himself. He manifested himself. What that means is he revealed himself. He made an appearance. He showed himself in the flesh to his disciples. Now. John is writing to tell us about this manifestation of Jesus. He repeats that word later in verse 1, and he manifested himself in this way. That's how this story kicks off. Now, look at verse 14, the end of this story. We're given the same detail again. There's brackets on this story. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So he kicks the story off, and he closes the story with, this was his third third manifestation, his third revelation, his third appearance, his third proof, his third sign to his disciples that he was indeed alive, that he wasn't dead, that, that he was there in the flesh. He revealed himself to them. John is giving this third story to shatter any doubt that his readers might have. You struggle to believe the first, he gives you a second. You struggle to believe the second, he gives you a third. There's, there's a complete picture of the appearances of Jesus in this gospel. He's alive. He's alive. And this is now the third time that this has been witnessed by his disciples. But there's a second lesson. There's, there's a second gospel truth that's revealed here. The second one is that Jesus' disciples are weak. Jesus' disciples are weak. So Jesus is alive. That's a primary emphasis in John's mind in this story. But there's also a really important truth here that that is shown, and that is that Jesus' disciples are weak. We can even add maybe like Jesus' disciples are still weak. Because they've been revealed as weak throughout this whole gospel. But, but even after a resurrected Jesus, the disciples are still struggling with some things. And to wrap our minds around this, we need to read between the lines a little bit in this story. We have to ask the question, why is Jesus in Galilee? Maybe qualify that more. Why are the disciples in Galilee? Remember where Jesus was killed. Jesus was killed in Jerusalem. He was, in, he, was in, he was in Judea. Jesus Jesus was in this this area. He was killed there. His first appearances to his disciples are in are in Jerusalem. He's buried in Jerusalem, resurrected in Jerusalem. Why do we blink and all of a sudden we're in Galilee? Well, to understand that, we need to turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Turn back to the first gospel in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 28, we're given a really important detail and it helps us understand this passage a little bit. Matthew chapter 28 verse 10. Matthew chapter 28 verse 10. This is a little bit more conversation that we're told about when Jesus first appeared to the women the morning at the tomb. Remember Mary Magdalene and some other women that were with her that first witnessed Jesus' resurrection? They were the first ones to talk to him. Well, we're given in Matthew a little bit more of the conversation that those women had with Jesus. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 10, we read this. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee and there they will see me. When Jesus was communicating with these women, he said, hey, tell, go, go to the disciples, run to them, tell them they need to go to Galilee because in Galilee, they're going to see me. Now, Jesus actually appears to his disciples before they ever leave for Galilee, but he's going to meet them in Galilee, he says. Tell them to go there and tell them to wait for me. And we're actually are told that they're given more detail than just Galilee because scroll down to verse 16. Scroll down to verse 16. The 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus has designated. So not only does Jesus tell them to go to Galilee, but there's a specific mountain in Galilee. We're not told which mountain it was. But there's a specific mountain in Galilee that Jesus said, go there, wait for me, I will meet you there. Okay, so back to the Gospel of John. Because that helps us understand why the disciples and Jesus are in Galilee. It's because Jesus set up a meeting with his disciples in Galilee. So the disciples obey. They go They go to Galilee. They go to the mountain. And on the mountain, they're waiting for Jesus. We're not given a timeline at the beginning of this chapter. We're not told how long the disciples had to wait. We know that Jesus appeared to his disciples in the upper room the first day he was resurrected. And then eight days later, and then they went to Galilee. Somewhere between that eighth day and like the 40th day, Jesus makes an appearance. We don't know how long it is, but we know that the disciples were waiting. They all went. Eleven of them went. They're waiting for Jesus. But Jesus doesn't show up. So draw your attention to verse 3. All of that helps us to understand the significance in verse 53. Simon Peter says to them. The other disciples. I'm going fishing. That is not a statement of like. Favorite pastime. I don't know if any of you. I hate fishing with a burning passion. It's like the worst pastime ever. Like it's so boring. But. Some people enjoy it. Anyone here like fishing? Woo! Guys are losers. <laughs> Peter Peter, I don't know if you liked fishing, but it was his job. It was what he did before he ever met Jesus. That this was his profession. It's important to know that because when Peter says this, Peter has not said these words for three years. This is Peter's old life. He obeys Jesus. He goes to Galilee. He's up on a mountain. He's waiting for Jesus. And Jesus isn't coming. And Peter returns to his old lifestyle. Peter says, he's, He's not here. I'm going fishing. This is a, a significant statement by Peter, and it's incredibly revealing about his heart in this moment. I, I believe that Peter, in these moments while he's waiting, begins to have doubt. That he begins to wonder about, about these appearances of Jesus when, when they were in, a, in an emotional time, because he told them to go to Galilee, he told them to wait on the mountain, but Jesus isn't coming, and so Peter goes fishing. The disciples go with him. Not all of them. It's interesting. We're told about seven disciples that all go fishing. It would seem by implication that maybe four of them stayed behind on the mountain. Four of them stayed to wait. But Peter is the spokesperson. And he says, Guys, I'm going back to how it used to be. I'm going back to how it was. I'm going back to my old lifestyle. I'm going back to my old job. So he gets in a boat. Six other disciples come with him. Next week, we're going to see verses 15 through 17. Jesus is going to look at Peter. And he's going to say, Peter. Look at, look at verse, verse 15. Simon, Peter, son of John, do you love me, Jesus asks, more than these do you think the these is? When Jesus looks at Peter and says, do you love me more than these? He's talking about the other disciples. Do you love me more than all these? Like, probably not. It doesn't make a ton of sense that Jesus would ask that. I think what Jesus is asking is Peter, do you love me more than more than these fish? More than these boats more than these nets more than your job. Do you, do you love me more than what you just returned to? That, that's what Jesus is going to press Peter on. Because, because Peter, yet again, in a unique way, has, has turned his back on Jesus. Peter, again, has, has stopped waiting, stopped actively obeying. He's gotten frustrated, and he's gone back to his old life. Jesus is going to look at him and say, Peter, don't you love me? Don't you love me more than, than this? Don't you love me, Peter? There is the heart of Peter, in all of us. We all, we all struggle with exactly what Peter struggles with in this passage. We all struggle, at times, even even knowing that we have a resurrected Lord with returning to our old way of life. This is this is returning. To, to a pattern of sinfulness, turning to, to old pleasures, turning to, to things that we were saved from. I want you to note what happens. Peter, Peter's in the boat. He's gone back to fishing. And then what takes place is there's a man standing on the edge of the water. There's a man standing on the edge of the water and the disciples see him. So he's about a hundred yards away. We're told that later in the passage. Jesus yells out to the disciples, you haven't caught any fish, have you? They don't know it's Jesus. And they say no. Seems like maybe like an intimate conversation, but these guys are screaming at the top of their lungs, right? It's a football field between them. You don't have any fish, do you? No, we don't have any fish. Jerk, stop bothering us. We don't have any fish. (laughs) Jesus then yells, screams, cast your nets over on the other side. We've heard this story before. Cast your nets over on the other side. They do it. Immediately, they they can't pull in the nets. It's filled with so many fish. 153 large fish were told. As soon as that happens, the disciples recognize something. They recognize that the man on the shore is conducting himself the same way that Jesus always conducted himself. And so this is the third gospel truth. It's what's driven home at the end here. And again, hopefully this isn't new to you. Jesus is the son of God. John is going to drive that stake in the ground one more time. He is the Son of God. He's alive, and the disciples—they're still weak. They're still struggling. They're still wrestling with their disobedience. But Jesus is the Son of God, and the disciples—one of them, John—immediately recognizes it. When when they're struggling to pull in the nets, John says, "Wait a second. We've seen this before. That is the Lord." So Peter, all of a sudden, remember—it's a hundred yards out. He. Uh, Apparently, they fished naked, which is totally weird, but he was uh, needing to clothe himself, obviously, so he throws on this outer cloak, we're told, and then he just jumps in the water. He throws himself into the water. like He's like, I'm not waiting for anything. I'm not holding back. I'm going. Why? Because he knew that it was Jesus, and he recognized that it was the Son of God, again giving a sign pointing to his deity. He's he's sovereign over what's taking place. Jesus was in control all night long, directing the fish, keeping them away from the disciples' nets. Making it so that they caught nothing. Making it so that they were frustrated. Making it so that they were desperate. Jesus knowingly called to them. He knew. He knew. Revealing that he's the son of God. Calling them, saying, you haven't caught anything, have you? He's a hundred yards away. He can't see in their boat, but he knows. And then he miraculously brings a catch to the disciples. Showing again. His identity. And when Peter recognizes the Son of God, he's not holding back. He dives in and he starts swimming. Okay, And he's not swimming like a lap in a pool. He's swimming a football field. All the way to Jesus. He's in a hurry. He wants to see his Lord. Because he's reminded that's the Son of God. He's powerful and he's alive. This story started with Peter returning to his old ways. But this story finishes with Peter having a renewed allegiance in his Savior. And I want us to take that as a principle that that Peter illustrates for us here. that, That renewed awareness in a living Savior... Motivates renewed allegiance to the Son of God. Write this down. Renewed awareness in a living Savior. Renewed awareness of a living Savior motivates renewed allegiance to the Son of God. Peter illustrates us that for us in this passage. Peter goes from doubt and disobedience to remembering he's the Lord and He's there, and, and it leads to a renewed allegiance to Jesus. And so we're called then never to forget what Peter seemingly forgot. Never to to lay aside the truths that Peter failed to remember that he's alive and that he's the son of God. Because a renewed awareness of a living savior renews allegiance to that savior, to the son of God. Peter needed reminded. He needed reminded that Jesus was the son of God. That he was alive. I want to challenge us as we come to the end of this study. Don't forget these truths in, in forgetting these truths we become more prone to conducting ourselves in this way conducting ourselves in disobedience but, but that continual awareness that we live to serve a living savior the, those thoughts rehearsing through our mind better enable us to remain allegiant to him to remain faithful to remain obedient so keep these thoughts in your mind Jesus is alive like his disciples, we're weak. He's the son of God. He's the son of God. We're going to see a fourth truth shown next week. The story isn't really done. There's going to be a conversation that happens, but I want to take a week just to focus on that conversation. That, that fourth truth is that Jesus gives forgiveness, and we'll look at that next week. Jesus is going to forgive Peter for what he's done and call him to leave faithfully as he moves forward.